Hello and welcome to Eldritch Extras. Hello. Oh. How are you doing, Mike? I'm fine. How are you? I'm very good. Yes, yes. So it's what's a uh, lovely what's summer's go- day? What's going on? Well, uh, I- I'm back from Gen Con. Should Ooh. I mention that? Well, well, you have mentioned it now. I have so mentioned it's been it. Late. I mean, well, so uh, I guess the obvious question is, um, how was Gen Con? Gen Con was good. Well. I think we've I think we've got all the bases there then. So that's marvelous. So, Do you need to hear more? Uh, oh, no, go it's on, good then. Time. Tell us tell us a little bit more. What uh, uh, what did you actually spend most of your time doing? What did I spend? I don't know. Just uh, hanging out and chatting with people. Really, I played a, a few games. What did I play? A handful of games. Did you um, run any games? Yep, I ran two games. I ran Full Fathom Five with you two, Can Cthulhu with Bob Geis and his crew for seven players with. Uh, well, myself and four other GMs from his team. Not really GMs, but like people sort of helping play the NPCs. So that was right. a, a novel did experience. That, did, that, did that, you know, haven't normally done that kind of thing in the past. So how was that kind of, um, I always have the fear that if you've got a, a helper, you know, another keeper, and you give them an NPC, my, my kind of internal fear is that they're going to say something wrong or give something away or or not give a clue away. Um do you kind of have the same kind of reservations or, or did it kind of go fine? I think in a, in some other scenarios, I might have had that concern, but with this one, it was just kind of pushing the envelope and and letting them have free reign, really. And at one point, we did split the group. So Bob took half the crew. So we had two whaling ships, two whaling boats, like the small whaling boats out on the sea. And I took one and Bob took the others in a different room. And then we reconvened together, and that 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 was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just just having them, I would just maybe just whisper an instruction to them, and then they'd they'd be on their brief, and they'd they'd just hit it. It was great. Was, was your kind of whispered instructions along the lines of "kill them now"? Was that kind of? It was kind of you know you need to get this guy or whatever and they'd provoke it and they they kind of knew the, the characters well the NPCs they were playing and they just fell into it it was yeah, no it was great it was good yeah, that sounds that sounds really good so did it yeah. was it kind of very table based or it has to sound that it kind of people were getting up and kind of larping to some degree there was a bit of that I mean we had seven players they were mostly sat at the table. Um, but at times, yeah, I'd call them over and we'd get up, and uh, there was a bit of uh, there was a bit of what one might call larping going on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. That sounds good. Did, yeah. Did you get to play in a game? Um, I want to say I did, but I can't think what it was. Do you know? I'm not sure I did. I think I just GM'd. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And and, and you can't talk about Jankon without talking about the trade hall. So, did you? Um, did you have a wander of the trade hall? You know, past past five minutes wandering around, and I did pick, pick anything up that you you know that attracted your eye. Yeah, it's a bit like when you get a book that I, I find I'm glazing over with it. Sometimes I just like I, I don't think it's called speed reading, but I just start scanning through it, and after a bit, I find a passage that suddenly I'm reading it now. I'm reading this now, and I'm actually taking this in again. So yeah, because there are some books that are just a bit dry, and I'll, I'll just kind of skim through a bit. And there's a bit like that with the Gen Con Hall. I just start walking, 
and then I see something that catches my eye, and then I stop and uh, and, and look at it. So um, that happened with the Everdell store, Everdell the board game, because I wanted to ask the guy about the various expansions because I've looked at the expansions online and uh, just been baffled by them. So can I just stop you there then? So yeah. Everdell is that a game you already own the base set of, or you want to buy, or? Yeah, no, I own the base set, and it's a one of our favorite board games for the family. You get like the the ever tree. It's like a three dimensional wood uh, cardboard tree that you you put together, uh, just simply slots together. And then there's loads of animals. Like there's the there's you get an animal. So there's the miner mole, and then there's a location with the miner mole. You get the mine. Uh, there's the post office, and I think it's maybe the the owl or something like that that goes. So you got all these animal characters. Who are sort of anthropomorphized animals and their locations, and you create your own little town with these with these things. But you can only have fifteen cards, uh, and um, you know there's economies and so on. It's it's not like a simple game, but it's not like mega complex. But I I struggle to sort of figure a strategy, a winning strategy with this game. So I'm always a a, a bit at sea with it. Uh, but I just love the the look of it and the feel of it and the the playing of it and creating your own little town. And there are various expansions that you know add to that. So there's like an underwater one, and there's yeah various things that kind of add to the board. So I was looking at what expansions were available. Right. Okay. I, I can't say I've played it yet, and I can't. I, I kind of got a picture of the cover of the box, but I, but I can't say I've seen it being played. So I'm not. You mentioned cards, or is it primarily a card game? Um, or is there a, you mentioned, but you mentioned a tree. There's a cardboard tree in the middle of the table. Do you do you kind of have to throw throw fruit to knock the screw out <laughs> the tree? Or what? well, the tree is just a a prop, really. That so there are objectives for the game, and each game you draw cards for what the objectives are, and those cards some of those there's positions on the little tree for some of those cards to sit like this flat platform there's two platforms on the tree um and you go through seasons uh and in each season you'll draw some more of your little um playing pieces from the tree so it's kind of like a resource holder almost the resource manager yeah um and there like i said there's about four or five expansions and the guy's like yeah, you could get this expansion or you could get this expansion. Or oh, you could just buy this box. Massive <laughs> box with them all in it. Yeah. It's freaking huge. Yeah. And it's about, I don't know, about 300 quid or something. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not even sure I could fit that in my suitcase, man. It's just uh, <laughs> just huge. But 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 yeah, but uh, a beautifully produced game, fun to play, uh, and full of if you like woodland animals and gaming you know sure well i mean it doesn't sound i mean obviously it's a completely different game but obviously um i introduced you to parks last night didn't Mm, i yeah um, which you know it's got seasons and wildlife little tokens and things like that not a million miles away i'm a a big fan of parks i really really enjoy i think the uh again the production values on the actual the game are um are really high and uh and it's, it's very tactile and beautiful artwork of all the kind of the uh, the US national parks and so on. I mean you you first played it for the first time last night. So did you you know, did you enjoy that? I did. I thought yeah, it made me kind of think I'd like to get this cuz when we play you know when I play a game I'm partly looking is it a well, is it a fun game to play? Is it 
too complicated because I've played some board games that just make my head hurt. <laughs> and I'm not really I'm not really into that. But also, does it have a nice, I don't know, dressing to it? Yeah. So like the the parks, I love the parks. You could have that game and it just be abstract with just points and symbols, right? With no yeah. but the fact they've they've put put the parks as a sort of set dressing on top of it. It, it just gives it a lovely feel. Um, and the same with the woodland animals one, right? It doesn't, it wouldn't have to be animals. It could just be anything you could, could yeah. use for it. Um, but I think when there's a gel between those things, between the, um, I don't know, the, the, the mechanics and the fiction, I guess. So like we, we also like ticket to ride and there are various boards of ticket to ride. And some of them seem to emulate the feel of the, place where the board is set so like the old west one like the wild west one you you all start at different locations and you can only build from that location so it's it's ages before you meet anyone else and oh, you just feel right. like yeah. yeah i've not played the, the wild west version so yeah that's really interesting yeah yeah yeah. you get the feeling that you're in a massive landscape that, that there aren't many people around and somehow emulates that the the really small one the um the new york one I think rather than trains, you're in taxis, and it plays in about 20 minutes, and it feels frenetic. And oh, busy. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So somehow that, you know, the the setting and the mechanics seem to to mesh together really well, and I, yeah, I like that. I, anyway. I guess another example of that, where, which I think you know is pretty successful, is I yeah you know, I quite enjoyed Pandemic, you know the mm-hmm. kind of original version, mm. and then they brought out the Cthulhu Pandemic, which is I think all set in Arca. It's been a while since I played it, but you're you're basically rather than multiplying kind of bacteria, you're multiplying cultists as the cultists take over town, and you're trying to you know level them out. Um, and again, I think that that translates pretty well because you're, you're playing effectively the same game, but but there is a lot of you know local tailoring to the kind of the mythos in that so it kind of, you kind of get the feel and it, again it's quite attractively done um and you just it just feels a little different to the base game um you know and and much more and uh, more focused because you're dealing with one town rather than a, the world with with pandemic um but yeah i think i think when games do that well it it, it does come across and it you know makes them attractive and i think that's the third aspect maybe you touched on there is is the the physical feel of the things and how well, the, the visual and physical feel of the, of the pieces, uh, like you got that three dimensional tree, you don't need that, yeah, in, in Everdell, but it's a really nice addition. It just catches the eye, and, and um, I don't know, just visually and physically appealing in the game. And the pieces, like you're, you're playing pieces, you've got little, little wooden squirrels or little wooden hedgehogs and things, just as playing pieces, and they're just nice to. I just just like those. Like I've said before, in like my first game of D and D. We had little mini painted miniatures and there was weird shaped dice and there was a map and there was a i don't know a, a, a dm screen just loads of lovely things on the table that you know really appealed yeah, no, to me. i mean that's exactly the same as my kind of first role play experience it was the miniatures that captivated me mm. it was you know that it, it really really gave me a focus um uh you know in the first hour of the game to kind of understand what was going on so it, it really helped and again, you know, I get, you know, going back to what you just said, you know, like like wingspan. I mean, I don't know about you, but the the the, the different coloured eggs and and you oh. know, really cool. You know, I, mean, I want more eggs because they just look cool. 
yeah um, and and that's another game that's kind of really gone to town in terms of presentation of course you know not only with the artwork with with the card holder boxes and and the 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 the, the nesting box the dice roller you know all these things are really unnecessary but they really add to the the feel of the game and they kind of keep you in the kind of mindset that is you know what the game is about and i think they've done, done very well that dice tower in wingspan is genius i think dice towers in general you know oh, I could, a, I, yeah Give, i could take them or leave take them. Or leave them yeah but in in wingspan it's it i mean again it's setting and not really mechanics but a, a thing in the game it's a bird feeder it's built to look like a bird feeder <laughs> yeah. and you and but also you roll the dice into it and that's the store of dice and when you take them out of it it means something mechanically in the game you know that you've taken them out and you take it so it's a really good because i think tracking those things without that would be quite difficult because you'd need somewhere are those the dice we're using or are those the dice we spend yeah just differentiated between used and unused dice and all that kind of thing it just helps it, it helps really the game up doesn't it in that way you don't get into 100%. arguments about you know that's already been rolled you know kind of thing yeah yeah, and that's, it's very that's easy a... to do in a board game. You know, let's just look at Monopoly or something like that. Where... <laughs> so you asked about how my experience was of the game last night. We played this game online, so we played it on Board Game Arena. And it was the first time I'd played it. And I'd say I enjoyed playing it, but it almost felt to me like I was playing a solo game Yeah, with two other people because I was very conscious of what I was doing, but I wasn't very conscious of what you guys were doing because... I mean, partly you were more proficient with the game, so you you just knew what to do when it came to your turns. But you would do things, and I'd be like, I I don't really know what they did then. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think that is uh, one of the kind of uh, well, you know, depends how you look at it, but, but the potential downside of that kind of you know online board game experience. It's like it's the same for it's a different thing but the same for online role-playing isn't it I mean you, know, you, you get the experience and you have a good game and you can enjoy it but you lose something in the translation that even in a role-playing game it's just that kind of social aspect around the table and and, and sometimes mm. and just that kind of being engaged because it's very easy to I find very easy to get switched off playing an online game if you're not currently doing something and you, you know you're watching other people which is all fine but waiting for your turn but but it's much easier to be disengaged whereas around the table you're kind of there and so you you are engaged much more easily um so yeah I get that you can feel like you're playing it on your own but I think also when you're learning a game you are focused on what you're doing rather than anyone else I think even if, yeah even if, even in a physical version of the game you 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 know, you might be a bit more aware of the other people, but you're still trying to focus on just doing it right, aren't you? And, and that, yeah. And as you, you know, build your awareness of how to actually play the game, you start then thinking, okay, what is everyone else doing? Why do they keep winning? And and watching what they do, and and you know, that builds, you know, builds into your play, doesn't it? I guess. But like, I could see like the 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 points, and like Penda suddenly shot up five points, and I'm like, oh, how did you do that? <laughs> And he's like, oh, it's yeah, yeah. that park. And I'm like, oh, okay, so that park's gone now. So in a physical game, I'd see him take the you card off the it. table. It's obvious. Um, and it's just, just yeah, I guess more clear to me. But, yeah. um, no, but no, it, it was good. I, I mean, I enjoyed the game, and I think I would you know, look to buy a copy. Yeah, well, I, I recommend it, definitely. I think it's um, mm. I really enjoy it. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, so we're talking about more games and stuff. Um, 
why don't we talk about um, favourite settings? Because we've talked about a setting. We've talked about woodland and woodland animals, you know, with bird, with uh, Rinspan and uh, what's it called? Everwood or something? Everdell. Everdell and uh, Parks, which are all nature-based games. So clearly that that's something we both like. But um, uh, more broadly, though, in terms of, you know, maybe in terms of films and role players specifically, are there any settings that kind of draw you? Because I don't, I mean, I don't recall you ever kind of going, um, oh, let's play Woodland, the RPG, whereas no, in, a, in a board no. game, you're, you're drawn to that. <laughs> but in an RPG, are you drawn to kind of like wanting to play, you know, anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic um, animals, you know? No, like, that kind of puts, I mean, I, I don't want to like, uh put put it down but it doesn't it's not really for me i feel i I don't really feel drawn to that i mean there's a game where you play dogs in D. &D. i can't remember what it's called now um but i'm like i don't know maybe if i played it i'd really enjoy it but it doesn't appeal to me on the surface but then again superheroes don't really appeal to me but i've played a few you know champions back in the day and so on and actually playing it i really enjoyed it but um more so than I enjoy, like because you know I'm not like a big fan of comics. You're, you're and, not, uh, you're not, you're not Marvel and uh, so on. Uh, yeah, superhero fan. Because every time I I come back from a superhero, from <laughs> oh oh, have you, I've just saw this. Have you? I, I stop myself now by going, oh no, of course you've not wanted to watch it. <laughs> you, you hate superhero films. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, anyway, um, <laughs> well, that's, that that maybe is a topic for another time. Why yeah. don't you like superhero films? But I think well, I mean that's a string of topics. Why I hate what what do you? You just call this podcast what Paul doesn't like today. So yeah, absolutely. Well, what about what do you do like in terms of settings? Okay. Yeah, what about what you know? What is uh, you know you know if you have to pull out some settings from you know books or role playing games? What what would you say if I saw I see that I'm interested or, or whatever it might be? Yeah, I think generally I'm not drawn. Well, I'm I'm, I'm going to probably say, anything I say I'm probably going to then contradict in the next sentence, but. I'm probably not drawn to settings that involve a really hyper involved. But then again, if they come from fiction that I'm familiar with. So I guess I like settings that are based on external fiction, such as like yeah, Middle Earth, Star Wars, things like that. Um, whereas if the setting is purely written for role playing games, I don't know. I, generally don't get so much into that and so i kind um, of like the the external angle yeah you, you like the i mean the thing is what you're saying you, you're already invested i mean yeah with, you know lord of the rings you've got a pretty good idea about middle earth therefore playing a middle earth role-playing game you're kind of halfway there already you, not, there's not a lot you, you only need to learn the mechanics almost you don't need to mm. learn the setting Whereas something that's been purposely built for a, for a game, you've got to learn two things really: not only the mechanics potentially, but but the settings, rules, and what it is. Uh, yeah, so that's that. That could be a you know potential barrier, I guess, for some. Um, um if if it's a role playing game, you know, if it's a fantasy game, I'd rather just like start off with generic fantasy almost and create our own world through it at, you know at the table kind of just yeah. emergent setting is my probably my favorite for that sort of thing um sometimes i feel 
that can be a bit of a restriction. I mean, I remember, for example, getting over the edge. Great setting, but I really tried to play it by the book. So I think this is a good example because I really tried to play it by the book and like catalogued everything that was sort of listed down for Alamalja, all the places and the factions and so on. But looking through that book, and that to me was almost a restriction, you know, playing it like that. But looking through that book, I really feel like they just played the game, improvised stuff, made the stuff up as they went along, and then wrote it all down and published it. And I think they had tremendous fun creating that setting. Um, and I think that's what anybody else should do. Just get that game, you know, scrub it back to the bare bones and just go wild and create your own setting and your own factions and your own, you know, yeah, weird things it, and take it, inspiration. To you, I guess, in that, in that, yeah. that, that, that kind of makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, something that I would say, well, yeah, it's not the same, but similar in terms of a, a, a created setting for a game is Slay Industries. Um, mm-hmm. uh but I think it's different in that it's 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 possibly simpler in terms of what there is than um, than over the edge because yeah over the edge, there's a lot going on isn't there in that book there's mm. a lot of different things and moving parts potentially you could you know want to really immerse yourself in and that's cool uh, same industries it's a little bit more simple it's the, the you know it's straightforward you know you are you're employed to undertake these missions. And that's all you need to know, really. And, and, and other than you know, the world is as it is, and and you know, you can actually reveal that in emergent play. Although you're you're kind of going off a brief that's you know a set background, but there's a lot of flexibility in that, I think. Uh, and um, um, and so you're focusing it. You only really got to you know understand a few very few core concepts of the setting and um and again it's one of it's one of the things you want you, you kind of love it or you or, or it doesn't it just runs off you but i mean i i you know i found it was really engaging and and so forth and i found it very easy to convey um the setting to a group of players who had no idea about the setting because i think that's the acid test isn't it whether yeah you, you might get enthused about a, a creative setting when you, you you get into the rule book and you read all the background and whatnot and you get all excited and want to run it but then that, you've got to translate that enthusiasm and knowledge on the table to a bunch of people that haven't read the rule book and have got no idea what this setting is um and so um and again you know sometimes a slightly a lighter touch or, or, or being able to kind of guide that presentation when you start the game um by saying just you know, here are the here are the few things you need to focus on. Don't worry about the rest. The rest can develop as you go into it. Um, I think it helps in in that way. Yeah, I think. I mean, they refer to them as touchstones, right? Just kind of key things that you can sort of mention that will get people's imagination going, and and you're all on the same page. Yeah, I think. You, I always think this is one of the struggles with sci-fi because sci-fi, you say, oh, we're playing a sci-fi game, and it's like. If you say we're playing a fantasy game, there's different types of fantasy and your fantasy might be radically different. But in general, we know what we mean by a fantasy, whereas sci-fi could be anything. So, yeah, well, sci-fi, I mean, the the, you know, the the example I always go is like, is it Star Trek or Star Wars? Because that's hmm. massively different kind of style of games and, you know, start of um, setting, let alone adding in, you know, the variations between that, whether it's, 
um, you know, kind of gritty kind of aliens, you know, ashtrays in space, which again yeah. is its own thing, um, yeah, or to some kind of gleaming kind of, you know, bright future, or is it dark and gritty and, and you know, so forth. So there's so many permutations. And when you just say sci-fi, it doesn't really mean anything, does it? So I guess, yeah, uh, it's like you want to be able to communicate to your players really quickly what the setting is and all get on the same page so like rivers of london for example i mean that's one that we've both worked on and i just kind of say well it's it's urban fantasy it's modern day you're in london if you're setting it in london that's the default and you know magic is returning to the world and and that's pretty much i don't know do you need to say more maybe well, i mean it, it follows say, the same but... kind of pattern as cthulhu doesn't it call it cthulhu is in that you, you know you're you're, you're setting it in a relative model of the real world be it mm. modern day or 1920s or, or whenever um so there's a common i mean this is what we're talking about there's a common frame of reference that everyone has yes so if you say we we are starting off in a speakeasy in 1920s chicago everyone even if they know nothing really about the 1920s has got a picture of that in their head just from you know exposure to films books life in general um and so you've got a common framework which you can then build upon and it and you know as as we've often said with uh people being worried about being authentic in terms of their their presentation of a historical period is kind of well just be consistent and don't worry too much about it you know if you get something really wrong just just retrofit it you know but most of the time they are it's small fry stuff that you really don't need to worry about you know focus on the story that the players are engaged with and that's what will carry you through and have a good time so your go-to there was slay industries so i'm a player sat at your table uh right but i've never heard of this game what 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 are we doing now because you could you i'm putting you on the spot off the top of my head to you oh, that's great thanks for that yeah no worries <laughs> no so you don't like, have to but i mean no, what, no, well i mean is, know, is it something simple that you could sum up I mean, yeah, I, I would say that you know, you uh, it's set in a in on a planet called Mort, um, and it's set in a kind of a future, far future, uh, where um, there is one company that runs everything, and it's the kind of Slay Industries is is owns everything. You know, they are the government, they are the business. Even businesses with different names are sub companies of Slay Industries. So everything is is a corporate nightmare if you imagine you know it's just kind of dystopia uh, and that's the setting but basically all you need to know about the place you're in is the environment has been wrecked you know by you know mining the resources of the planet it rains constantly sometimes acid rain so on uh and all the population are kind of condensed into this mega city of more which works on different levels um so you have above ground where relatively you know you know the the weller off people live and below ground you know many many sub levels and the further you go down the poorer the worse the more dangerous it gets and you are agents employed by slay industries as troubleshooters so you could end up going anywhere and doing any any kind of mission from um uh rescuing somebody from uh from being kidnapped to uh, doing security duty on some pop stars to anything in between, uh, and you know that's 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 your setting. And of course, clearly beyond the mega city and the kind of 
irradiated and desolate wastelands that you know are around are things you don't want to come across and those things sometimes enter the city and again as troubleshooters you're the first people that are going to get called on to deal with them that's great i, I like that because you told me also you didn't just tell me about the setting you told me what i'm gonna likely be yeah, doing and that, that's it? the key isn't it it's really i what, think so yeah what, what, what am i actually doing in this game yeah because you can get this big setting and then you're like and what do i do yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I but mean, I, yeah. I get the feel like there's a so in my head i'm hearing blade runner meets 1984 meets paranoia the role-playing game kind of yeah yeah you wouldn't be far wrong yeah 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 um yeah so you know i think that, that i feel on board with that yeah i mean it's like it's like say say i imagine i know nothing about tolkien and middle earth yeah not watch the films not read the books yeah and you rock up with uh the one ring role-playing game yeah and i go what's this what, what, yeah. what would how would you how would you sell that i don't know i'm just obviously throwing this back at you now yeah you are yeah okay the ball's <laughs> in in my court wow so you wanted to sum up tolkien and i mean i've chosen something you actually know pretty well so i mean you know yeah but uh it's like summarizing proust okay so <laughs> um it's it's a fantasy game um i would probably you know say have you played dungeons and dragons that would probably be you know some something that falls out of my mouth at some point yeah that's the game um, you use a board with isn't it you have that you yeah have that's that it tree in the middle <laughs> it gives you results that's the one isn't it uh so <laughs> it, it's a fantasy land it's uh some elements of sword and sorcery but there's a lot of rural elements and uh you might be you might ho be hobbits like little people or you might be elves or dwarves that live in the mountains and mine um gold and, and mithril uh there are various kingdoms across the land and your characters you might be going on just minor quests uh to um to help some friends or you might be going on a quest into into the mines of moria below the mountains uh or you might be going on a quest to uh uh to, to slay a dragon even well, that sounds a bit more interesting than minor quests. I have to say, can we not do the minor quests? Because that sounds a bit dull. Can we go and slay dragons and steal dwarven gold? Yes, you can. Okay. That's, 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 I mean, I mean, that's how it started. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not an easy. It's not an easy I thing at all. No. Undersell, but it's, it's not an easy try thing introducing a setting to people who have no idea about it. And obviously, you know, that's just being the, you know, at the table as the GM, you know, let alone producing, you know, writing that in a book to sell the setting. You know, that's, that's another another element in terms of the kind of things that we have, you know, we've done in the past. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, you know, you've got to think clearly because it's so easy to overcomplicate something very quickly and immediately yeah. people laugh, isn't it? it that's, that's the thing. And um, what about, um, so we talked about, you talked about fancy a little bit. Um, what about um, non-fantasy settings? Are there any, you know, uh, well, sci-fi you, you've talked about, and obviously Middle Earth, we know you got an interest in, but uh, is there any other kind of thing? What, you know, um, what anything else that kind of jumps out at you is kind of, you know, if I'm not playing fantasy or sci-fi, you know, what what is my go-to setting? Well, I mean, just modern day is 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 a great setting i think so the real world or you know what appears to be the real world 
so so many horror movies uh and yeah not just horror movies but thrillers and things like that that we enjoy it starts off i like starting off just being feeling like i'm in the real world i guess uh that could be like boardwalk empire it could be um uh oh crikey what's the um um well the thing with Arnold remember. Schwarzenegger in what, what yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> uh the, the the cop one that had like the yellow king and so on references oh a true detective true detective you know things like that so I think the real world is rich because everybody knows it so you can just sort of say I guess I'm lazy and I can just say oh it's the real world and people you know, you just give them a time and a place and a job, and you're away. Well, it, uh, but then obviously there's more under the surface. There is, but but I think you know, other than a common frame of reference, which I think we both agree on, is attractive because it's very accessible. Um, if you're selling things in the real world, be it you know 1920s or now or whenever, um, there's a common understanding of how it works, not just what it is but how it works so we all understand that um if you say that guy in the corner is pointing a gun at you you know what that means Hmm. whereas in a in you know you say oh this guy's got this strange kind of orange ball in his hand and he's kind of waving it at you you you've no idea that that it could be a threat could be him doing a magic trick Hmm. and so instantly you've got to now um you know now add an, an added layer of detail to say oh well in the game world you'd know that that orange ball is actually this laser weapon and it could kill you and so but you've now spent another five minutes explaining that when you could have just said he's got a gun and he's pointing at you so there's a common that common understanding of how the world works which can obviously be replicated in the mechanics and you know obviously many games do it in different ways but ultimately a mechanic is does it work or not you know yeah so uh you know and so you know it's, it's it's easy to then kind of assimilate the rules in that way sometimes rather than having to learn everything from scratch you're only learning portions of the the game in a in a sense um and that that yeah i mean that's attractive to me because it, it makes life easier and um it also allows for sometimes more player um input because they already they have a common understanding of the world, so they're so you're able to kind of use your players as a resource. So you know we've had this in games, you know we've talked about before in terms of running a con game, and you mentioned something. I can't think of anything specific now, but if, let's just say, oh, there's a there's a Model T Ford, yeah, and it's got um, four doors, and so the four of your characters can all get in straight away and escape from the Shoggoth. Whereas, and somebody on the table go, actually, Model T's only had two doors, so actually, it might take more than a round for the shotgun to go in. And you go, actually, that's pretty good, because that's actually raises attention. And you go, okay, yeah, sorry, my mistake, it's two doors, so who's getting in first, and which two of you are going to have to kind of dodge the shog off for a round before you can get in the car suddenly that's actually helped the game so yeah. i'm just using that as an example but you know often you know players can you know throw in some knowledge that they have into a into a real world type setting that really helps the game and and you know that's great obviously it shouldn't all just necessarily be the keeper or the gm gurgitating all they know all the time it, it, you know players you know build in their uh build in their lives too it becomes you know it's a group story isn't it at the end of the day it is and i think 
we don't do that so much in fantasy or sci-fi games, but I think we should as players like throw mm. things in. So, you know, you, you're going out to your, I don't know, some sci-fi uh, hover ship, like, uh, and, and but you could have the same thing. Your player sort of says, oh, you know, there's only two seats in that. Yeah, yeah. well, we're only, it's only exists in our imagination. Yeah. But, you know, maybe the, the player throws in, you know, some spanner in the works or, um, and, and, w- w- which adds to the fiction. And it's not, it's not drawn from real world stuff like your model T Ford thing. But I think, um, it's always good when it's not just the GM describing the world. It, you know, it can come from the players a bit as well. Well, yeah. Um, because I mean, and that just by the fact of them doing that and that being, you know, communally accepted now as part of the game world helps player investment and engagement yeah, totally. at the end of the totally. day you know, and that's you know what we want we want people to be engaged in the game and, and to get the most out of it so uh, you know where 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 you're kind of i mean uh, you know i mean going back a few years when i was younger and probably this you have the same experience you know back in the day you were a player in some game in some fantasy world or whatever it would be and if you if you try to suggest kind of having an input into the setting, yeah. you were told no, no, it doesn't work like that. Overruled, yeah. Overruled. Keep the the GM would be no, no, no. It doesn't work like that. You don't understand. Let me explain, and then you'd have an hour of them talking at you, telling you how the game world and and your your motivation for wanting to remain and come back over. Is draining away down as you sit at the table. But this conversation where you're asking me about favorite settings reminds me of playing um prime time adventures where you start off and it's like pitches for a, a you know a tv show and that's yeah. what you're going to play in the game and often the the first conversation around the table was oh what setting should we have and i was never really that bothered i, I like the story and the characters and like the twists of story but it's like a bit like when i'm writing a scenario i don't start with the setting or or at least I maybe have a setting, but then partway down the road, I'll totally change the setting because I'm not really that tied to setting, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to agree. I mean, having played primetime, um, I was never bothered about the setting either. I, I, and it always seemed to me there's always one person in the group who who has a setting they really want to do. Yeah. And and and, and they will kind of push that through and everyone kind of finally goes, oh, yeah, well, we'll do that then. That sounds great. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, and that always seemed to be the case in my, you know, and sometimes I think I wasn't that interested in, but I kind of went along with it. Because I think what you're saying is, is ultimately role-playing games are not about setting because you don't, you don't, you don't walk away necessarily, going, you know, well, that if you see what I'm trying to say is mm. ultimately in terms of the game experience, the setting is atmosphere, it is mm. backdrop. It, it kind of, it can influence things obviously but actually what i don't remember anyone ever coming to me and telling me about their game and telling me about the setting what they everyone does is tell me what their characters did or what happened to them yeah and obviously the setting plays a component in that but it's not the key component it's not what you know you know but at that time we were on the Nostromo, oh, and the Nostromo, such an interesting ship in the game, and all these dark corridors. No, we were we were on the ship, and this alien was coming out and eating us, and that's what people are talking about. That's what they remember, and the setting 
as I keep saying, is important. Don't get me wrong, but it's not what makes a role playing game a role playing game. It's the action. It's the story. It's the communal story, and you know what happens in that setting. That's actually what makes us play the game. I don't turn up for a role playing game just because of the mm-hmm. setting. It's because I the setting <laughs> forms what might happen, and so they just play a role. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. An important element, but I think you know we've seen working with other people on developing scenarios uh, and so on. How some people do start from setting, and and that's really what drives their passion for the thing, and and that's great because I think different people latch on to different things. And whilst that may not, uh, I agree with what you just said. I think there are some people, whilst it might not be what they recount afterwards about the game. Yeah, if you ask them what they like about RPGs, the first thing I might say is, oh, I really love like the Dark Sun setting for D&D. Oh, sure. No, like I, yeah, and they're I'm really passionate that about that's that not thing. The case. Don't get, yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's the case. No, no, I, I get what you're saying. I, 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 you know, I think, yeah, setting is a big draw and a, yeah. and a real reason why, yes, you know, certainly a large percentage of people are drawn to a game just because of the setting. You know, for mm. we're going to put out a, a new game of, I don't know, Babylon 5, I'm a big Babylon 5 fan, so I would be interested in that alone. I don't know nothing about the game. So I would, you know, so I know it's a draw and, and it's important. I'm just talking about the actual game experience. In the, yeah, 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 in totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So you mentioned Slay. What's what's one more before we wrap up? What what's what would be your next uh, go-to for best settings? Um, well, is it settings that actually exist or settings that, that are in my head? As in that, well, pro- it's good if somebody else has heard of it, Mike. So well, I mean, this is this is a setting someone's <laughs> heard of, and there are games kind of you know based around the the concept. So I'm just going to say folk horror, yeah, right. So I'm just going to say kind of rather than urban fantasy or urban horror, folk horror, which is um, tends to be more you know countryside based. Let's say, but it can be it can be urban, but um, but that kind of sense of the land being somehow involved. You know, to whatever degree, um, uh, in terms of its history or the reality of the land, um, and, and and I guess what I'm talking, about, yeah, and obviously, you know, rivers and liminal and that draw on draw on some of these kind of concepts clearly, um, but that kind of meshing of um, folklore and the kind of the concept of, of uh, you know hauntology and you know uh, uh, a misremembered past that never was and all, all that kind of stuff that has always intrigued me and and so i'm interested i don't you know i think some games do it very well some games not quite as well but um but that kind of concept because i mean obviously i like it because it's an easy kind of genre to also slip into the game that i like best which is called a cathedral obviously um <laughs> And it's a it's an easy way to do that, but um, but that that is a a kind of a setting. I like I like that kind of getting out the city. Um, whereas in fantasy, I'm less interested in getting out of city. I'm more interested in what's going on in the city or below it. You know, that's that's more my 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 jam. But um, but in a in a kind of a real world style game, the you know getting out the city and exploring the moors and the strange stone monoliths and the fairy rings and so forth that that's that's more interesting to me so because you like midsummer i'm i'm not a fan of midsummer 
a further wicker man. <laughs> <I know you laughs> <are. laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not opposed to Midsummer. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's, you know, that I prefer Hereditary to Midsummer. To be honest, I think that was a tight yeah. film personally. But uh, yeah, there you go. There you are. But okay, well, uh, shall we? Shall we wrap it up there? We could wrap it up there because no one wants to listen to go on and on and on, do they? No, no. no that's just crazy. Lord, no. So, so what? What do we need to? Um, what do we need to remind people to do, Paul? Uh, well, we we would like to ask you, dear listeners and and viewers, because this is on this is on YouTube and it's on audio podcast. We'd like to ask you to share this with your friends and tell people about Eldritch Stories and Eldritch Extras. And well, you can find good. our website, eldritchstories.com. Marvellous, marvellous. So, please, yeah, please come along and let uh, other people know. So, um, okay, well, there's nothing else to say other than what have we got to, what have we got to do, Paul? Keep it Eldritch.